Issue Review, Fiscal Services Division, November 10, 2014. State Collective Bargaining in Iowa. Issue. This issue review examines the history of public sector collective bargaining in the state of Iowa. An emphasis is placed on the basic wage and benefit packages negotiated each year, the funding allocated each year, and the estimated portion of the cost covered and the growth in state employee wages since 1975. This issue review is not intended to draw any conclusions, but is aimed at providing background and historical information only. Affected agencies, all state agencies. Code Authority, Iowa Code Chapter 20. Background, Iowa is a right-to-work state, as are 23 other states and the territory of Guam. In a right-to-work state, labor unions cannot require employee membership or payment of union dues to get or keep a job. Iowa's right-to-work law was enacted in 1947 Iowa Acts, Chapter 296, and is now contained in Iowa Code Sections 20.8 and 20.10, as well as Iowa Code Chapter 731. In Iowa state government, employees in classifications covered by a collective bargaining agreement receive the same wage and benefit provisions negotiated by the labor union whether or not they join the union or pay dues. Presently, a total of 34 states mandate public sector collective bargaining. In 11 states, it is permissible, while in five southern states, it is explicitly prohibited. Public sector collective bargaining in Iowa. The Iowa Public Employment Relations Act was enacted during the 1974 session of the General Assembly. The act was signed into law by Governor Robert Ray on April 23, 1974, became effective July 1, 1974, and is now Iowa Code Chapter 20. The act did not create an obligation to bargain until July 1, 1975, and prohibited public employee bargaining until June 1, 1976. Prior to the act, all wage increases for employees of Iowa state government were determined and enacted by the General Assembly with the approval of the governor. Iowa Code Chapter 20 contains the procedures that must be followed to determine bargaining units, representation, elections used to select an employee organization to bargain on the employee's behalf, prohibited practices, and mandatory and permissive subjects of bargaining. The administration of the chapter is vested in the Public Employee Relations Board, or PERB. The first collective bargaining units to organize in Iowa did so on August 18, 1976. There are currently 21 bargaining units organized under the umbrellas of seven unions representing approximately 27,600 employees statewide. Those unions and the approximate number of employees they represent are American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, Iowa Council 61 AFSCME 18,700, United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers, Iowa United Professionals Local 893 UE-IUP 2,500, State Police Officers Council, or SPOC 620, Public Professional and Managerial Employees, or PPME 100, Service Employees International Union, Tertiary Care, 2400, United Electrical, Radio and Machine Workers of America, Local 896, Graduate Students, 2700, and UNI, United Facility, AAUP, slash IHEA, 600. Two categories of employees are not covered by a collective bargaining agreement, those that are bargaining eligible and those that are bargaining exempt. Bargaining eligible employees are those employees permitted to organize under Chapter 20 but have not petitioned to do so. 
bargaining exempt employees are prohibited from organizing under chapter 20 and fall into several categories as outlined. Supervisory employees, temporary employees, those employed for fewer than four months or whose employment is intermittent or seasonal, confidential employees or at will, those working in the personnel office of a public employer or whose duties place them in a close continuing working relationship with those who negotiate on behalf of the public employer, personnel of the Iowa National Guard, enamored, employees of the credit union and banking divisions of the Department of Commerce, elected officials, those persons holding elective office and members of boards and commissions, and students working fewer than 20 hours per week for a public employer. Using data from the Department of Administrative Services, or DAS, centralized payroll for fiscal year 2013, the composition of the workforce included 82% covered by a collective bargaining agreement, 4.1% bargaining eligible, and 13.9% bargaining exempt. The DAS data excludes employees of the Department of Transportation, or DOT, the Board of Regents, the Judicial Branch, Community-Based Corrections, or CBC, and the Legislative Branch. The bargaining process. The obligation to meet and bargain in good faith is established in Iowa Code Section 20.16. The governor determines the direction and financial parameters for executive branch proposals to the unions and the DAS serves as management's chief negotiator during collective bargaining negotiations, consulting the Department of Management or DOM with regard to the cost of various economic proposals of both management and labor. Mandatory subjects of bargaining are required by law to be negotiated when insisted upon by either labor or management and are described in Iowa Code Section 20.9. They include wages, insurance, seniority, dues deductions, hours of work, shift differentials, transfer procedures, staff evaluations, leave, overtime, classification, staff reductions, holidays, supplemental pay, health and safety, other mutually acceptable topics. Bargaining with regard to the benefits derived by employees from the public retirement systems is explicitly prohibited by Iowa Code Section 20.9. Most other topics are considered permissive subjects of bargaining. Labor representatives present an opening offer first, generally in late November or early December. Management DAS presents an opening offer no later than two weeks following the union's opening offer. Only the exchange of initial proposals is subject to the state's open meeting requirements. All negotiations must be completed no later than March 15th. To avoid impasse, the union and management must agree on, amend until satisfactory to both parties, or withdraw all proposals that have been introduced during negotiations. Once all proposals have been disposed of, a tentative agreement is carried to members to vote or ratify the contract. If due to impasse or at the request of either party, a mediator may be provided to the PERB to assist both parties in shaping a voluntary agreement. If negotiations reach impasse, an arbitrator is selected by the parties from a list of approved arbitrators. The arbitrator may only select impasse items from the, quote, last, best, and final offers, end quote, of labor and management in developing an arbitration award. An arbitrator may not award an economic or language proposal not proposed during the negotiations preceding arbitration and must consider certain factors in determining which proposal for each impasse item is most reasonable. There have been more than 12 binding interest arbitration awards since the inception of collective bargaining in Iowa. Wages have been at issue in all but two of those impasse proceedings. 
of the ten awards provided with regard to wages, the state's last, best, and final offer was awarded by the arbitrator. There have also been four instances where a fact finder was used during the impasse process. In all four of the instances, the state chose not to accept the fact finder's proposal. Pursuant to Iowa Code Section 20.22, the award made by the arbitrator is binding on both parties. Wages and benefits. State employee wages and benefits represent the second largest portion of the state's budget behind state aid to schools. For fiscal year 2013, wages and benefits of centralized payroll and the Board of Regents employees comprise 22% of state general fund expenditures. Wages and benefits comprise a significantly greater portion of the operating appropriations of state agencies, commonly exceeding 80% and in some instances approaching 90%. Wage increases have been negotiated on a multiple of basis other than wages, including percentage increases conditional on the annual income of the employee, the collective bargaining unit within the union representing the employee, lengthening of the pay grades with the inclusion of additional steps, and pay grade changes for specific classifications. Wages have also been frozen by the exclusion of across the board or ATB increases or by the substitution of bonuses or other payments that are not added to the base salary in lieu of ATB increases. Other pay, in addition to base wages that accounted for approximately 67.9% of total payroll expenses in fiscal year 2013, several other wages are paid to state employees. These other types of pay are not considered a base wage but are contingent on the employee meeting one or more conditions to be eligible for the additional pay. Many of these types of other pay have increased through the course of negotiations. Examples of these, quote, extra pay modes, end quote, include, but are not limited to, overtime pay, meal allowances, med passer pay, compensatory pay time, cleaning allowances, callback pay, shift differential pay, standby pay, higher rank allowance. The cost of these other types of pay as a percentage of total wages and benefits vary widely among the bargaining units ranging from a low of 0.5% for non-contract to a high of 6.1% for SPOC during fiscal year 2013. The cost of other pay as a percent of total wages and benefits was 4.3% for AFSCME and 1.9% for IUP. During fiscal year 2013, the system-wide cost of other pay accounted for approximately 2.9% of total payroll expense. Benefits other than wages. For centralized payroll, non-wage benefits such as health, dental, life, and long-term disability insurance, employer contributions to pension systems and Social Security slash Medicare and deferred compensation match comprise approximately 27.5% of total payroll expense. The most costly non-wage benefit to the state is health insurance. On average, health insurance alone accounts for nearly 14% of the total cost of wages and benefits. During the 1977-1979 Collective Bargaining Agreement, or CBA, with AFSCME, the state paid 100% of all health insurance premiums, whether a single or family policy. Since that time, employee contributions toward health insurance premiums have varied depending on the policy the employee was enrolled in and the labor union providing representation. 
employee contributions toward a Plan 3 plus family policy peaked at 34.1% of the total premium in plan year 1996 and dropped to the present 15.27% of the total premium cost in plan year 2013. The state has always covered the entire cost of single health insurance policies. The monthly cost of a family health insurance policy has increased from $400.14 in 1996 to $1,658.45 in 2013, or just over 314% for Plan 3+, the most heavily populated plan through the early 2000s. Over the same period, the average salary state employees increased between 72% and 85.7%. As a result, health insurance as a proportion of total cost of the average state employee in IUP has increased from 5.7% to 14%. As the costs of health insurance have risen, the state has made several efforts at cost containment. The state took steps to soften the impact of rapidly increasing premiums by developing less expensive health insurance policies. The policies offered to employees expanded from the expensive traditional indemnity plans such as Plan 3 Plus and Deductible 3 Plus to include preferred provider organizations, PPO, such as Blue Access and Blue Advantage. Employees responded by moving from the more expensive plans to the cheaper PPOs. During calendar year 2002, the indemnity plans, Program 3 Plus and Deductible 3 Plus, comprised 52.1% of total enrollments in health insurance plans. As of July 1, 2013, the combined enrollments of the two indemnity plans had declined to 17.6% and blue access enrollments alone were 54.6% of all enrollments. The two managed care plans, Blue Access and Blue Advantage, accounted for 68.6% of all health insurance contract holders as of July 1, 2013. Since January 2007, when the Blue Access PPO was created, enrollments in Blue Access have steadily increased and the enrollments in the more expensive Plan 3 Plus have declined. When comparing the state cost of Program 3 Plus and Blue Advantage, centralized payroll employees have saved themselves nearly $41.5 million and have saved the state nearly $119.7 million. The second most costly non-wage benefit is the state's contribution to retirement and Social Security. This amounts to 12.3% of the total cost of wages and benefits for employees paid through the centralized payroll system. During fiscal year 2014, state contributions to the three state retirement systems as a percentage of covered wages were 30.6% for judicial retirement, 31% for peace officers retirement, and 8.9%, 9.9%, and 10.1% for IPERS regular, IPERS sheriffs and deputies, and IPERS protection occupation respectively. The state contribution to old age, survivors, and disability insurance, or OASDI, is 6.2% of all covered earnings up to the ceiling established by the Social Security Administration and the contribution for Medicare is 1.45% of all earnings. The PORS is the only state pension system exempt from Social Security. Appropriations and Proportions Funded Historically, salary adjustment funding has been provided through the appropriations separate from agency operating budget requests 
and the distribution of those funds has been calculated by the Department of Management. Since fiscal year 1974, more than $1.7 billion has been appropriated specifically to fund salary increases provided to employees of the state, Board of Regents, and community-based corrections. Of that amount, nearly $1.5 billion has been appropriated from the general fund. A necessary supplemental authorization to increase appropriations from other revolving trust or special funds, such as the Iowa Public Employees Retirement System, or IPERS, have been included in past legislation. Funding from revolving accounts that are not appropriated by the General Assembly, such as the Enterprise Funds at the DAS, may be used to pay for the increased costs to the extent that they are able and require no additional authorization. However, since fiscal year 2009, there have been no general fund road use tax fund or primary road fund appropriations for allocation to departments to cover the cost of wage and benefit increases, although some funding was provided to relatively few departments in an effort to avoid layoffs. Nor has there been any supplemental authorizations for the revolving trusts or special funds that require such authorizations since fiscal year 2009. Since fiscal year 2000, there have been three fiscal years that included 100% of the funding needed to pay for the salary and benefit increases provided to state employees. The staff contact for this issue review is David Hewton, Senior Legislative Analyst at 515-725-0509 from the Fiscal Division of the Legislative Services Agency. To see all charts, graphs, attachments, and internet address links, please go to the Iowa General Assembly website at www.legis.iowa.gov and click on the Publications tab at the top. Then click on Fiscal Analysis in the gray area at the left. Then under Fiscal Publications, click on Issue Reviews.